0: If you will, join me in Luke chapter 14 and verse 15. Uh, The message today is entitled, You Are Invited. And we'll look together at verses 15 through 24 here in just a moment. The world of technology is rapidly changing, it seems like, from one emphasis to the next. And the most sought-after items don't seem to stay that way for very long. There's currently a phone app called Clubhouse. A year ago, it was valued around $100 million. In January of this year, uh, venture capital firms approached the startup founders with a funding offer of around $1 billion. Now, it's currently only an iPhone uh, voice chatting app where individuals can host and join different conversations. Uh, When the app is opened up, uh, there's a list of rooms that you can join or you can create your own with various topics. What has drawn a lot of interest to it is people that are uh, referenced as social media influencers are on there. Uh, There are experts in various fields who have joined along with some celebrities, people like uh, Elon Musk, uh, people like Bill Gates and others that have joined. But here's the catch. At the moment, you have to be invited to the app by someone who's already a member. And if you receive this highly desired invitation, then you can, in turn, invite four of your friends to come along. The CEO of Clubhouse, Paul Davidson, says that the app will eventually be open for everyone. Currently, there are 10 million people who are engaged with it. And it's said that it is growing, get this, at 5 million people a month. Now, that's an interesting invitation. But today, we're going to consider the most valuable invitation that has ever been extended. And it remains an open invitation to all who will say yes and receive it. It's an invitation to a banquet, which represents an invitation to the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. It says, when one of those who reclined at the table with him, referencing Jesus, heard these things, he said to him, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he told him, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. First one said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. And I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back. And reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Now verse 23. Then the master told the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and Make them come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of these people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Let me set the scene a little bit by way of reminder or perhaps introduction. Jesus was in the middle of a Sabbath dinner. It was a dinner party that had become quite intense. As soon as Jesus arrived, he was being carefully watched by the religious leaders who had invited him. The idea is that Jesus was under scrutiny by those people who were there in the room with him. They essentially set him up in this scenario that was about to play out. There was a man there with dropsy, what we refer to today as edema. And Jesus subsequently healed him on the Sabbath. They were not happy that this had taken place. But Jesus quickly silenced his critics by asking a question, uh, pointing out their own hypocrisy. And then he criticized both the guests and the host for seeking the best seats of honor at such a meal and for only inviting those who could do something in return for you. So it's in the middle of all of this that's going on that one of the guests says in verse 15, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, we're not given any further insight into what this man's real intentions were by saying that. Certainly, the idea of a future celebration in the kingdom was right. But some of the people present, perhaps even the man who was speaking, would have presumed that they were already a part of the kingdom and they were already guaranteed to have a seat at the table. They were just taking these things for granted. So what does Jesus do? He takes the opportunity to tell them a parable. Now, some parables are more complex in their meaning and a little bit more difficult to discern the different symbols and representations. But I think this parable has a very straightforward uh, meaning. There was a certain man who gave a banquet. He gave a great supper. I believe this is in reference to the great marriage supper of the Lamb that is referenced in Revelation 19. Everything was prepared. Everything was ready. So the host sends out his servant to invite many people to the table. But when the invite went out, people started making excuses. The servant returns to the house to tell him what has happened. So he tells the servant, go out and invite people to come in. A servant says, I've already done it, and yet there's still room. So the direction was, go out at that point and compel them with a sense of urgency to come in so that the house will be filled. And then he concludes the parable by saying that those originally invited would not enjoy the banquet in the presence of God. So in these moments that we have together, let's consider both the invitation itself as well as the responses to the invitation. And the first point I want to make is that the invitation is extended because the preparation has been made. It says in verse 17, come because everything is now ready. There's no more waiting. Uh, Everything has been prepared. And what's this referencing? I think it's referencing the abundance of the gift of salvation that God freely provides to sinners like us. I I think it's referencing the grace of God that is extended, the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, the promise of being with God eternally, and it's an invitation to come and to receive all of these blessings and to receive the gift of salvation The Apostle Paul draws a contrast in the book of Romans in chapter 5, and the contrast that he draws is between the death that came through Adam because of disobedience and sin and consequences, and the life that comes through Jesus Christ because of his righteousness and the finished work and the power of the cross and the resurrection. And Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. He said, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. Adam, created by God, as was Eve, placed in the Garden of Eden for fellowship with God, given the explicit commandment not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, yet disobeyed God, and the consequences came. And the consequences were death spiritually, ultimately physically, and also separation from God. So Paul's making the point through one man, sin entered the world, bringing these consequences. Each of us are sinners by nature and by choice. We fall short of the glory of God. Through sin, death reigns. But here's the good news. Through the gift of righteousness in Jesus Christ, life reigns. Paul continues his argument, Romans 5 and verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more has the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to many? Verse 17, if by the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Christ. So in Jesus, grace is multiplied. It abounds. It's super abundant. It is victorious over sin and brings us to the place of righteousness. And this gift of eternal life that is the good news that comes to us is something that speaks to both quality of life in the here and now because Jesus said that he came to give us abundant life And it also speaks to the quantity of life being eternal in the future. I'm here to tell you today that there is a king and a kingdom where grace reigns. And the invitation to this kingdom, and specifically to this king himself, and to a place at the table, is freely offered to all. You might be familiar with John Bunyan's classic, Pilgrim's Progress, It's an allegorical story that I refer to from time to time about the journey of a man named Christian from the city of destruction to the celestial city. In that story, there are uh, many characters that are sometimes complex to understand, but there's one in particular called Mr. Honest. He traveled the pilgrim's way and uh, he saw many a pilgrim along the way who started boldly and strongly, but yet turned back before they made it to the celestial city. He saw some who stumbled at the start, but yet they got their footing and they end up making it to the celestial city. Some started out in faith and ended up in doubt, and then others grew in their assurance along the pilgrim's road. Now, obviously, Mr. Honest knew a lot about the journey of the Christian life. And the story is summed up about his arrival to that celestial city. It says, "'Mr. Honest called for his friends and said unto them, "'I die, but shall make no will. "'As for my honesty, it shall go with me.' "'And when the day that he was gone, uh, was to be gone, was come, "'he addressed himself to go over the river. "'Now the river at that time overflowed the banks in some places.' But Mr. Honest in his lifetime had spoken to one named Good Conscience to meet him over there. And that he did. And he lent him his hand and he helped him over. And it said that the last words of Mr. Honest were, grace reigns. And so he left the world. What a great end to our lives that that would be. That we could say grace reigns. Grace reigns abounds God has invited me to this banquet he's invited me to his kingdom and most importantly he has invited me to himself and because grace reigns and it abounds I've come into his presence I've accepted his love and I have the promise of all the things that are to come now in referencing this marriage supper of the lamb which I think this is foreshadowing It's also important to understand a little bit of the backdrop of how wedding customs in those days would work. There were basically three parts. The first part would be similar to our engagement but more binding where there would be an agreement between the bride and the bridegroom and the family that was involved with it. There would be this betrothal period. And then after that betrothal period or that engagement time was over, Second would come the time when the bridegroom uh, would go to the house of the bride along with his friends, and he would collect the bride, and the marriage would take place. And then third would be the celebration part. That would be what's referenced in the marriage supper uh, of the Lamb. So if we parallel this spiritually, then the engagement period, in a sense, is while we as the church, as the bride of Christ await the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. We commit to him in faith and he commits to us and that relationship is secure, but we await the fulfillment of it all when we're actually in his presence upon his return. And then that marriage supper will take place, which will be the celebration of the whole deal. And the invitation is extended now. Why? Because preparation has already been made. Let me say it stated another way. God has already accomplished everything necessary for your salvation. Jesus Christ has finished the work that the Father sent him to do. He left heaven and came to earth. He was tempted at every point as we are, yet he was without sin. He perfectly obeyed the law of God, which nobody else could do. He willingly gave his life as a substitute for our sins at the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and on the third day, he was raised from the dead, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus has secured salvation. The table is already set in the presence of God, and the ultimate celebration is to come. Now, let me ask you a question. If this invitation is in fact what it's reported to be, and the work has been done, you don't have to do anything to earn it, you can't be good enough, you can't ever measure up to the holiness of God, but God has made the way for you in Jesus Christ. He's inviting you to be forgiven of your sins, to have the hope and the promise of eternal life, and to know that you're going to get to celebrate someday in the presence of God, then my question is, how could anybody reject such an invitation? Why would anybody want to delay receiving the invitation by faith and saying yes to God? But that brings me tragically to the second part of this message. And the fact is, according to what Jesus tells us, the invitation will be rejected by some. The man in the parable, in verse 16, invited many. When he invited many, the servant went out to tell people that they were invited. There's another part of the Jewish custom in terms of invitations just to meals in general, if it was a special occasion, that the invitation to the meal would be issued far ahead of time. But then when it came time for them actually to have the, the meal itself, The servants would go out to the homes of the people who had been invited and remind them that they had been invited. And it was very much an insult to the host to refuse the second summons to the dinner. Now, who are the many that are at first referenced in this verse? I think it references, to begin with, God's offer of salvation to the Jews, There's this clear theme that's running here that these are the privileged people of God. Remember, he raised up Abraham. He gave them the law. God made his glory known to them in the tabernacle. He made the message of the Messiah known through the prophets. And then God's glory was made known through the temple. And then ultimately, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. But here's the reality. They were the chosen people. Through them, the Messiah had come. But the majority of them rejected the invitation which came in Jesus. Make no mistake about it. Christ would have saved every Jew if they had only turned to him in faith. But many of them refused to do so. A little bit earlier in Luke's gospel, in chapter 13... In verse 34 and 35, we're given insight into the heart of Jesus for these people, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but now watch this—the last part of verse 34. You were not willing. See your houses abandoned to you. I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God was more than willing to save them, but they refused to come. Now, there are specific examples here of why the people refused to come. The first two excuses are related to material things, to a piece of land and then to five yoke of oxen. And one man says, listen, I bought a field, I got to go see about it please excuse me, I can't come. The other says, I have oxen. I got to go try them out. They're new. I I, got to see how they are. And he refuses to come. Preoccupation with material things is a common excuse for not following Jesus. And I say to you, do not let material things, which are temporary, keep you from spiritual things which are eternal there's nothing wrong with the material things if they're used in service to god if they are entrusted to him for his glory and his work and then he blesses you in the process but if those things are keeping you from accepting god's invitation don't let those things which are temporary keep you from that which is eternal The third excuse is related to the priority of human relationships over the priority of a relationship with God. He says, I just got married and I'm unable to come. Now listen, the problem is not with marriage. The whole parable is about a banquet that has something to do with the marriage supper of the lamb. God loves marriage. God celebrates marriage. Marriage is God's idea. But the point is, if you let a human relationship preoccupy you to the point that you don't accept the invitation of God, you're going to greatly greatly regret that in your life. Do not let an earthly relationship, or let me say it this way, even the idol of family supersede your relationship with God. Now, here's the point. This is not an exhaustive list. People come with all kinds of excuses, all kinds of reasons. I mean, you you know it. If if you know the Lord and you've tried to talk to people about uh, coming and accepting the invitation to Jesus, man, they come up with all kinds of excuses. But let me make this clear. All of those excuses come down to one reason, and that reason is unbelief. And let me also state here, unbelief is unforgivable. If you step out into eternity, not having believed in Jesus Christ, not having accepted the invitation to the kingdom of God, it is unforgivable because the door of the opportunity will have closed. One commentator said these excuse makers condemned themselves and their excuses were only a thin veil hiding the fact that they didn't want to come. He said back of an excuse is a lack of desire. There's no rational reason why someone would not want to be a part of this feast. They just didn't want to. So let's just be honest today as this invitation is going out to you and I'm speaking it to you with a sense of passion in my own heart because I know what it means to be saved. I know what it means to be forgiven. I know what it means to have the promise of heaven. I know what it means to have light marking out the pathway of this world when it's dark. I know what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm saying to you, you need to come. You need to say yes to the invitation to the kingdom. And if you don't, the reason you don't is because of unbelief and you don't want to. There'll be no excuse on judgment day that will stand in the presence of God. Here was a wonderful invitation, and yet it was refused. In Matthew's version of this parable, they didn't just ignore the invitation. Some of them treated the king's servants poorly and even beat and killed some of them. So the instruction followed in verse 21. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. You see, God is long-suffering with his creation, but unbelief and rejection of the gospel will yield the wrath of God. And Psalm 7 and verse 11 said God, says God is a righteous judge and a God who shows his wrath every day. This offer of salvation is extended to all, both Jews and Gentiles. And the scripture is clear that he came to heal the sick and those who know that apart from faith, they are poor, maimed, blind, and lame. So the warning is, do not be too proud to admit that you need God. Do not let religious or intellectual or social respectability keep you out of the kingdom of God because there are serious consequences to ignoring the invitation. But the good news is there's plenty of room in heaven for all who will repent and believe. The table has already been set. And this leads me to the third idea. The invitation will be accepted by others. Oh yeah, there's going to be many people who have excuses. They're going to give a thousand reasons why they didn't want to come to the banquet. They didn't want to enter into the kingdom. All those reasons are going to come down to unbelief. But there are going to be a lot of people who are going to accept the invitation. Jesus says back in Luke 13 and verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Jesus said of the kingdom in Luke 13 and verse 29, people will come from east and west, from north and south to share the banquet of the kingdom of God. Listen, we get invitations all the time. Some are are better than others. Uh, Some you just ignore because it just wasn't a very good invitation to begin with. You didn't want anything to do with it. But when you get a good invitation, you're like, I want to accept this invitation. Invitation with desire equals acceptance. I think about one of the greatest invitations in the Bible in Isaiah 55 and verse 1 where it says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the water and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. We find an invitation to come to God in the last chapter of the Bible in Revelation 22 and verse 17 where it says, the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life friend, are you spiritually thirsty today? There is living water for you. Are you spiritually hungry today? There's the bread of life that will satisfy you. And God is offering this invitation to you. But you have to come. And life with God is not just in the future kingdom. It's a life of abundance in the here and now as well. I believe the invitation from Jesus is an invitation to follow Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men to his first disciples. The invitation from Jesus is an invitation to abide. Jesus said, I've called you friends, abide in me. You see, we're saved to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings. The invitation from Jesus is an invitation to rest Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation from Jesus is an invitation to prepare. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust won't destroy and where thieves won't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, this is a wonderful template to follow. An invitation to follow Jesus, abide in Jesus, find your rest in Jesus, and prepare for the future. And now we come to verse 23, where the scripture says, Go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in, so that my house may be filled. Now, I think a better translation of the word make here is the word compel. There's no sense in the scripture of forced faith, there is repeatedly an invitation to blessing there is repeatedly an invitation to repent and believe. And we are to compel people, first of all, with a sense of urgency, because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed next week. We're not guaranteed next year. None of us know how long we have in this life. So there has to be a sense of urgency, knowing that eventually for all of us, that door of opportunity is going to close. And are we going to be ready when the door of opportunity closes? Today is a day of salvation. And I think it's important that we compel people with the love of God. There's a God who loves you. He gave you physical life. God knew you in your mother's womb before you ever entered into this world. He had a plan and a purpose for your life. And the same God who loved you and knew you in your mother's womb is the same God who sent his only son to die for you. And that's an invitation that says... This God who's done all of this for you, he is the God of love. And we compel people with the promise of forgiveness. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done. When you come to the cross, all of your sins are covered by the blood of Christ. And here's what I think, and I know to be true. The Holy Spirit of God will convict people and compel them with convincing truth from the Word of God. And there's examples all through the Bible of people bringing other people to Jesus. Philip found Nathanael and told him about Jesus. The Samaritan woman went and told everybody in the village to come and to see. Levi invited his fellow tax collectors and others to come and to be with Jesus. The Philippian jailer shared the good news of joy with his whole family. There's a quote from the former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, who said of the account of Andrew bringing Peter to Jesus, that was the greatest service that one man could render to another. Do you know the greatest thing you could ever do for anybody else is to bring them to the table? extend the invitation and watch God work in their lives so they can be forgiven and saved. There's a sense of urgency about this task we've been given. But if you don't know Christ, if you were honest today and said, I've never been saved, I've never said yes to God's invitation, your life could change forever, in an instant, right now, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That invitation is open, but you have to accept it. And for those of us who have accepted that invitation, we've been given a responsibility. This is why the church exists. We've been brought individually and collectively into the kingdom of God, to carry out the mission of God. The heart of the mission of God is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the message that God changes people's lives and that he grows us to be like Jesus as we await eternity. And it's the promise of all of the blessed hope that we have in heaven with God forever. Are we going to be faithful with the responsibility God has given to us. Let's bow our heads together just for a moment as we pray. As we come toward a time of prayer and close of the service, the first part of this invitation that I've emphasized is, for those who have not yet accepted it, have not yet believed In Jesus Christ for salvation. Whether you're here in the room or you're listening online or maybe you listen later on to the message. If you know that you don't know God and the Spirit of God is convicting you to come to him in faith. What are you waiting on? Your life could be changed forever, today, in an instant through the saving grace of God I'm going to be here in the front as we close out the service today there's even one person here in the room that would say I need to say yes to that invitation I invite you to come I'll pray with you answering questions you might have but it's not my invitation it's the Lord's church are we living in a way that we're compelling people to come Do we care about people enough even to worry about compelling them? And if we do, are we praying and believing that God can use our witness? Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for this parable that we've considered. We know that it symbolizes things that are spiritual and eternal. We look to the hope of the promise and revelation of that great marriage supper of the Lamb. We thank you that you, by your life and your death and your resurrection, have already made preparations. The table has been set. And we long to be in the eternal presence of God, free from sin, free from the brokenness of a sin-fallen world, delighting in all that you've done for us. And we'll give you all the glory eternally for it. God, we ask now that you would work as we close out our service, bring these truths deep into our hearts and our souls. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.